bless you for your kind reception tonight. Why don't we stand together? I believe that God does want indeed to do a work tonight. We can find the vein. We can set our sail with his wind. We're going to feel something, hear something, feel that the will of God has been accomplished. Appreciate this meeting, and I'm going to be directing your attention to the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 13. If you'd care to turn there while I make a comment or two. Would you be so kind as to thank the Lord for speaking to us tonight? God, we thank you. I'm so pleased, God, that you would take the time to speak to us in this meeting. Lord, that you would honor us with your presence. That your voice would speak, Lord. God, give me the desire, hallelujah, to hold a sickle. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I do so appreciate God taking the interest in us to speak to us tonight. Certainly do not take that lightly. I appreciate God telling us that he has given us a sickle. I want to use a sickle. 
I want for people to find God. I'm not here tonight to try to fill Brother Price's shoes. I suppose some of you probably came to hear Brother Price tonight. And uh, Brother Price is a, a man in his own realm. There's not a man in our organization that could fill the shoes of Paul Price. And so we don't endeavor to do that tonight. And they call me and ask me to preach. I'm here, and that's just all we're going to try to do tonight. I greatly anticipated listening to Brother Price, but uh, as Brother Wilson said, he is a man that is so greatly needed in our fellowship that at times his services cannot be executed in two places at the same time. And it was extremely needful for him to be gone, and so we surrender him to that need tonight and uh, ask God to help us meet the need here with what's available. Praise God. <laughs> However hard that might be. Praise God. I do appreciate these men that sponsor this meeting. And uh, they have been my friends, all of them and each of them individually. And I have many friends on this platform tonight that I trust are pulling for me and with me. And God would speak to us tonight. And uh, I looked on the platform and I wanted to make mention of this, that I greatly appreciate some of our elders uh, standing on this platform tonight. Some of them have preached for many years. And they preached when there weren't nice buildings like this. Air conditioning was not something that was ordinary. It was extraordinary. Uh, Brother Lee Davis was sitting there beside me, and I noticed Brother Ballesteros. He came up on the platform, and I thought, Oh, God, how many victories have these old warriors won? How many times have they waded into the midst of the battle? And they're still in harness tonight, still preaching, still loving God. What a thrill it was to my heart to know that we have men in our midst that know God and can give us direction. Hallelujah. I choose tonight to go right to the Word of God. If you will turn in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, verse number 7. I'm honored to be asked to preach tonight. I appreciate the invitation. And uh, I'm asking God to help us tonight. They carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahiho drave the cart. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might, and with singing, and with harps, and with psalteries, and with timbrels, and with cymbals, and with trumpets. When they came into the threshing floor of Shidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him, because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. And David was displeased, because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, wherefore that place is called Parauzah unto this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, how shall I bring the ark of God home to me? Tonight that will be our subject. How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? Why don't you shake hands with somebody? Tell them in Jesus' name.
One more time, let's worship God and ask him to have his way. Lord, I thank you for the word, reading of the word tonight. Let the Holy Ghost speak to us tonight in this congregation, in this assembly. Let the Spirit of the Lord have its freedom. Let there be a free flow of your spirit tonight, God. Let there be a flow of unction, God. Let the Holy Ghost come forth in this meeting. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God, glory to God. God bless you. The ark of God, and the word of God, to me, symbolizes what every man who preaches feels in his heart from time to time. And uh, to me, the ark of God symbolizes the presence of God. And may I read a passage of scripture out of the book of Exodus chapter 25 to affirm to you what I would like to make statements about concerning the ark of God. In Exodus 25 and verse 10, he told them that they shall make an ark of shittim wood. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof. I don't know how long that is, but about four feet. And a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, let's just say two feet, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. So he's simply talking about a box that they would make four feet long approximately, or thereabout, two feet wide and two feet tall. Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. Within and without shalt thou overlay it. Shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in the four corners thereof. Two rings shall be in the one side of it, two rings in the other side of it. Thou shalt make staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold. Thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be borne with them. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark, they shall not be taken from it. And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give unto thee. To the casual bystander, to the uninformed, to the uninitiated, to the people that did not have the heritage of the Hebrew blood in their system, it was just a box. It wouldn't mean anything more to you than that speaker or this microphone pole or just a box that you would find anywhere. But do you understand to the Hebrew people, the ark of God symbolized the very presence of God. It was an ornament box covered with gold, and it was borne, of course, upon the shoulders of the priesthood. Brother Wilson, I'm so glad that you sat down before you just went on and on and on tonight about what you had to say. But it was a very ornate box, and it was borne upon the shoulders of the priest. And do you understand that the, the box was, was designed to be carried by the priesthood? And I, I don't know for sure all about it, but if I understand scriptures right, there were uh, little ornaments on it, maybe carvings and whatever. But whatever it looked like or whatever it represented and the pictures that I saw and the carvings that I saw when I was in Israel a few years ago uh, painted it as a very beautiful ark that was carried. But 
the point is that to a Hebrew, that carved wooden box represented the Spirit of the Lord. When it was in their midst, they felt like they had power with God. When it was away from them and out of their boundaries and in some foreign country, they felt like they could not get a hold of God. They felt like they could not be in tune with Almighty God. Inside that box, again, articles that had great meaning and great uh, a feeling to a Hebrew or person that understood the heritage of it all. There was a little golden pot full of manna that they were reminded the providence of God and how God supplied all their need. There were the Ten Commandments that to an uninitiated, a uncircumcised Philistine or a Moabite or a Canaanite, that didn't mean anything to them. It was just an old stone tablet with a handwriting on it. But do you understand to a Hebrew, that was something holy, something to be revered. That was written with the finger of God on the mountain and Moses brought it down and they coveted it. They cherished it and they deposited it in their most holy place, the ark of God. And also inside that ark, according to the book of Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 4, was the rod of Aaron that had budded. When the priesthood was questioned and when the man of God was looked at and said, Who are you and what right do you have to tell me what to do? God simply said, Cut you a rod out of the forest somewhere and lay him out before me. And the man's rod that buds, that is the man that I have chosen to be a priest. And Aaron's rod the next morning budded while all the others lay dormant. I'm telling you, God recognizes a priesthood in the earth today. God still recognizes a God called ministry. The world may not understand it, but to us that are initiated, to us that understand, there are some things that we treasure. There are some things in our midst that they may turn their nose up at and they may not understand, but to us they represent the power of God. They represent the heritage that we have been given down through the centuries. There are things that men like that man right there preached about. There are things that men like Brother Ballestero wept and prayed and cried and stood flat-footed nose to nose with other people that did not believe truth. And we've got them in our grip tonight. And what I'm going to do my dead level best to do is preach that we don't give them up, that we don't turn them loose until God calls us home. Hallelujah. This old box that didn't mean much to other folks. Oh, let me tell you something. There was something about it that rallied the heart of a Hebrew. When they got ready to cross the Jordan River, the Bible says the priests took that old ark on their shoulder and they waded out into the Jordan River and that old water rolled back. And do you know that a beautiful thing and the scripture is this. In Joshua chapter 4 and verse 9, you can read it. How that the Bible says when they got ready to do that and that water rolled back. The Bible says Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of Jordan. In the place where the feet of the priests, which bear the ark of the covenant, stood. And there are they are there unto this day. While the priests walked out with that old wooden box on their shoulder and stood 
while the whole nation of Israel passed over to the other side. There were men that came by and dropped stones right at the feet of the preacher. And a little monument was built right out in the middle of the river. And what they wanted them to understand was that was the place right there. They wanted to come back to it someday and show their children and put their finger on it and say, this is exactly where we crossed the Jordan River. This is exactly where the ark of God was. And the embodiment of God's presence on the earth stood right here in the middle of the Jordan River. And we crossed on the other side. And we knocked the snot out of everybody in the whole land and God gave us victory do you understand that the ark was what they waved around it was the symbol of victory it was the symbol of God's power it wasn't just something that they put over in a corner somewhere but when it was paraded through the camp everybody got happy everybody shouted worship God because it was the power of God in their midst Yes. But let me tell you something. The ark was not something that they used one time and just became an antique somewhere. They crossed the Jordan River and built a little monument where the priest stood when they got through with that. They blew that trumpet one day and Joseph said, hey, we're going to march around Jericho. And you can read in your Bible that the priest took it on their shoulders. And they walked around Jericho. And I just see those old Jericho White's looking out of the day and said, what are they doing? Why are they carrying some stupid looking box? Why do they look like that? I don't know, they're just carrying that stupid looking box. You know what? And there's some things that the world doesn't understand about us. But they're not going to change. When our ladies walk into a grocery store to buy their groceries, they may look at us kind of peculiar and wonder about some things, but I'm here to tell you it's not going to change. It don't matter how long it is until Jesus comes, or something's going to remain constant. And whether they ever recognize it for the power of God or not, it still represents the visible embodiment of the power of God on this earth, that as long as it's here, God will dwell where that ark is. He will. So what I want you to know is the ark was not a, just a little old trinket that they put off somewhere. It was given to them by God. It represented the presence of God. It was with them when they crossed the Jordan River. It was there when the blood and the smoke and the ashes fell from Jericho. It was there on the shoulder of a priest somewhere when Jericho's walls fell and men took swords and hacked off heads of other men and total destruction and devastation was everywhere. It wasn't something to be put in a beautiful parlor somewhere, but it was on the ragged edge of a battlefield somewhere can I preach to you that the presence of God that we want this world to feel we need to take it to them they need to feel it out there they need to understand that what we've got works out there it'll work it'll work it'll work it'll work so let me say it like this it it had been to war It wasn't some little deal that they put under their bed and just pulled out when their friends came over and said, let me show you this little deal I've been collecting these things. Huh. Friend, it had been on the front line. The priest had watched them die all around them. Blood had flown down the streets. Jericho had been conquered. Do you know that the Bible says in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 4 that there was a point where Israel was stymied. The battle was deadlocked. Israel was afraid that they might not win the victory. And the Bible says they sent the ark of God 
those soldiers when they looked up the Bible says when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again and the Philistines said hey what's going on what are these Hebrews shouting about and they understood that the ark of the Lord was coming to the covenant into the camp of the Hebrews now let me tell you something it struck fear in the hearts of the Philistines it struck fear in the hearts of their enemies because they knew that something was going on over there what I want you to understand tonight is the ark was the epitome of the most sacred the most reverential thing that they had in their possession it wasn't an antiquated relic somewhere it was the embodiment the visible 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 embodiment of God when it came everybody got excited everybody rallied everybody said yes that's the presence of God in our midst it was so important to them when word filtered back through a messenger and old fat backslidden Eli was sitting on the post as degenerate as he was and as far away from God as he was and as lax in his discipline of his children as he was and even though he might not hear from God when they said to that old preacher they said let me tell you something the ark of God has been taken they had already told him his boys had died in battle that did not knock him off the post but when that old preacher man heard that the ark of God had been taken the Bible said he fell off the post and it broke his neck because it was so powerful in Israel that's what the ark meant to them the ark of God Philistines thought they wanted it when they got it they didn't know what to do with it that's right Bible Ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months, and the Philistines called for their priests and their diviners saying, Hey, what are we going to do with the Ark of the Lord? Tell us, where are we going to send it? What do we do with it? We don't even know where to put this thing. Some, some people preach about all these great things happening in other churches, and they're going to get the Holy Ghost by the thousands. Well, they may, but there better be a preacher somewhere. I'll get to that later on, but they want to know what to do with the thing. And they don't. Hallelujah. So they said, well, I'll tell you what. Every time we put it in our temple, he knocks old Dagon down. Go and went in the other day, and old Dagon's laying on his face, and his head broke off. So we can't have that around here with Dagon being broke up all the time. Why don't we send this thing home? It don't mean nothing to us anyway. And so they, they built a new cart. And they got them some cows that had little calves, and they sent it home. And it finally stopped and came to rest in Kerjath Jerim. The Bible tells us that there it stayed for 20 long years. Saul had no interest in bringing the ark home. It's not a spiritual man. And let me say this to you. If you think God was not interested in the ark, that old carved wooden box, if you don't think he was interested, you need to turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 11. And the very last verse, and when you read about things in heaven, the Bible says the ark of the testament was there. Let me tell you something. God 
cared enough about it that he took it all the way with him. David might have brought it back to Jerusalem, but David's son took it all the way to glory with him. And one of these days, this precious thing that I'm fixing to preach about and this glorious presence of God that we treasure so definitely, I'm telling you, we're not going to squander it. There are those that have made mistakes along the way, but we are going to guard it. We are going to make sure. We are going to inspect this book that what we do is right. And when we handle this holy presence of God, we're going to make sure that we do it according to the dictate and the writing of the word of this book for it is God's presence that we're dealing with hallelujah now you know the story let me just allude to it tonight David tried this new cart got everybody hyped up about it this is where my text comes into play he got everybody together thought because he had a crowd everything was right I'm here to tell you, numbers don't necessarily approve or disprove anything. Some men feel that if they can get a large enough crowd, it will affirm the correctness of their actions. Well, if that be so, we ought to all join up with the Pope. He got the biggest crowd going. I don't care what you show. I don't care what size screen you use or any other me method that you use. If you can draw 15,000 people, that don't sanctify it. Doesn't make it right or wrong. Numbers have never authenticated God. God is not impressed by our little series of, of, of pronouncements of how many we had because of this or that. I'll come back to that in a little while. Do you know the story? They got it on a little new cart after all the Philistines had tried it and it worked fine. Philistines had sent it home on a new cart and a new uh, cows had never been used before and everything was fine. And so David just said, let's bring it on home. And, and so he tried what the Philistines were trying. Now, I'm here to tell you something. God would not allow David the same liberty that he allowed the Philistines. And the reason that he did not allow it was they did not have the heritage and the understanding. And they did not have the background. And they did not have the foundation. And they did not have the ancestry. And they did not have the forefathers. I want you to know they thought everything was going to be fine. And they put the presence of God. They took their most precious item that they had, the embodiment of the presence of God, and they put it on that cart. And they began to sing and dance and worship God. And it began to flow out and people were worshiping God. And everything seemed to be all right. And all of a sudden, somebody tugs on David's coattail. says, just a minute, David, and he notices that everything has gone quiet, stone quiet. He says, what's wrong? They said, you better come back. Something terrible has happened. And he walks back. And the tight little jam of people and he elbows his way through and he stands and he looks. And there lies a man in the dust stricken by God. And David looks at somebody and says, what happened? Ahio, what happened to Yuzah? And he said, David, we were just going along with everybody else and everything was going so well. Everybody was praising God. Everybody was worshiping the Lord. And all of a sudden, the oxen stumbled just a little bit. And when it did, the ark, that precious commodity that they were treating with such, with such carelessness, the Bible said the ark trembled. And I guarantee you in the mind of Yuza, he could see that ark tippling off of that cart. And he could see it bursting open. And years and years of precious heritage falling to the earth. And just an attribute 
natural instinct, he reached out with his hand to steady it. And when he did, God struck him dead. And he falls down into the dirt, in the dirt of the earth, and there he dies. And the, and the silence wings its way out like ripples on a pool till it reaches David. And David stands there, and the Bible said he was displeased with God. And he said, how shall I bring the ark of God home to me? And I, along with others, I'm sure in my lifetime have struggled with God. We need the presence of God. We need divine healing. We need tongues and interpretation. We need prophecy. We do not need to slack off. We need, if anything, a more viable demonstration of the power of God than we've ever needed it before. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we will allow ourselves to resort to methods that the Philistines have used with success. If we're not careful, we will allow ourselves to begin to try things that looked all right for them. But if we're not careful, we will find our sons. And let me tell you, user was a preacher's boy. When David walked up there, there was a preacher's boy laying on the ground dead because of something he was too careless to check out. Yes, he got back on the right track, but not before there was a tombstone in Israel. Not before there was a place, a grave marker somewhere that said this was the man that tried to stop the presence of God from destruction. I don't know the purpose of it all. I cannot tell you all of the reasons why this is put in this book. But I do know that he knew better. The book of Leviticus chapter 25, God explicitly told them. And he named the things and he said, you are not to touch them. Don't put your hand on that box. There were no exceptions. But user was smitten with that momentary desire like so many of us are that we have been told for generations, don't touch that. But we feel like there's just cause because the presence of God is in our midst. And we feel like there's a reason and we can justify our reason for putting our hand on that box or whatever that issue might be or whatever situation might arise and we feel like there is such a definite reason and there is such a danger inherent in what's going on that God will approve me to put my hand out and steady the box that represents his presence but I'm here to tell you this book is critical in this respect it allows no margin of error it does not allow you to make decisions that affect God and his reputation and his presence in this earth when it comes to God and what he thinks he definitely gave us direction in this book he did not leave it to my discretion he did not leave it to the discretion of councils or men gathering together but God wrote it down over and over again thou shalt not thou shalt not thou shalt not God put it in his book David got to inquiring a little bit and I feel like we're dealing in a similar situation in our age in our day in our dispensation time we are dealing with the very presence of God. Holy presence of God. And David said, what did I do wrong? So he started checking. And he looked and lo and behold, it had been there all the time. But on the side of the box were little rings and a gold-covered bar called a stave. <laughs> Man, why didn't we see that before? It was there all the time. 
As a matter of fact, that must have been how they crossed Jordan. That must have been how they carried it around. Man, what's wrong with us? One of the most beautiful revelations to a young man is when he unfolds that book and he begins to see truths that were there for generations before he ever came on the scene. And even more beautiful than that is when somebody else begins to intimidate him, Brother Davis, and begins to make him think that he doesn't, he's not with the flow of things. He's not with it, you know. Your church is not with it. You're a little too old-fashioned. And he goes back to the book and he unfolds it. And sure enough, it's just like he thought it was. Hallelujah! You talk about a good feeling. You talk about feeling good when you go back to the book and it's just like you thought it was. I'm telling you, it's glorious. When you examine baptism in Jesus' name, and when you examine repentance, and you examine Holy Ghost, it's just as good as it ever was. It'll never die. It'll never die. It'll never die. Glory to God. Oh, let's worship the Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah to God. And so they went back to the staves, to the tried, proven methods that had worked since the beginning of time. The essence of what I really want to communicate tonight is that we are here to look for progress strength and renewal but let me tell you something in all of our quest in all of our digging in all of our exploration in all of our questioning and examining scrutinizing we are going to come back to the foundation truth that this thing is going to either be done by prayer and fasting or it's not going to do it There's not one modern piece of technology that is ever going to take the place of the stays. There is never going to be another method that will communicate the gospel like the preaching of the gospel. There will never be a replacement for the fivefold ministry. There will never be an opportune thing that will come along that will replace the fact that we're still going to have to groan it out, sweat it out, pray it out, fast it out until God gives revival to the church. This world needs the presence of God, but it's got to come through prayer. It's got to come through fasting. It's got to come through sacrifice. It's got to come through the touch of God and the anointing of the holy presence of God. No other way, no other way, no other way will it finally come. We've looked for shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. We've looked for miracle tools. There are no miracle tools. And they probably looked at those old bars and say, man, look at all those things are. There's grooves, worn. Look at this one. I can see the grips of his fingers on it. And that was precisely what God wanted. Can you believe that? Precisely what God wanted them to do was to go back what worked. Do you understand that that bar was stained with the sweat of many preachers? Many men had passed off the scene 
but the stave was exactly the same as it was for the previous generation. There was no margin for error. There was no margin for compromise. There was no place for it to go except right up on their shoulder. There was no way to carry it except in the raw calloused hand of a man that had the blood of a Hebrew in his veins. It was not given to the Philistine. It was given to apostolics. I pray to God that in this meeting there will be young men that get their bearings. There will be young men that get their direction and say I don't know about others but for me I want what has always been I want what they've got in the book and nothing else nothing else for me oh glory to God I want to show you something tonight I'm preaching tonight from an old Bible. This Bible case was made by a man in Old Brother Shoes Church, 1960, 26 years ago. The lacing is frayed, coming loose. A couple places. Zippers coming loose off of the Bible. It's old. The leather's cracked, scarred. On the front of it, it has my pastor's name, Elder I. H. Terry. This is the Bible that laid on the pulpit of the First Pentecostal Church of Bakersfield, California for 19 years while I.A. Jerry preached the gospel. It was the Bible that for 19 years on Thursday night he picked it up and read it and preached out of it. It was the Bible that for 19 years on Sunday morning and Sunday night, if he was preaching, he used it, and if he was following a preacher, he used it. Inside, there are pages that are stained with, with dirt, and there are pages that are stained with his little scribbling. I was reading in the back of it the other day. I'd give a whole lot of money to know what this means. He just scribbled a little note in the back of it. It said, hit him again, only let me. I thought, oh, God. Boy, I'd like to know what Brother Terry is talking about when he wrote that down. So that's all it says. Nothing around it. Just said, hit him again, only let me. But do you understand what this book means to me? Do you understand that this is the book that he took and he preached to me that there is no other salvation in this world? This is the book that he preached to me. And he said, it's Acts 2.38 or hell. There is no purgatory. There is no other way. There is no other message. There is no other way. This is the book. This is the book. That's right. I have seen him hold this book and walk the aisles of the First Pentecostal Church on 36 and 0 in disfellowship people. I've seen him hold this Bible and tears run down his face when he wept and prayed and sought God. And I'm here to ask you tonight, what kind of a shame would it be? 
what kind of a dog would I be if I took this book that he gave me after 19 years of preaching and praying and loving and giving it to me and what kind of dog would I be if I began to negotiate with hell for a few measly little old communications or ideas or some little modern fad that's coming along I think I ought to my old pastor I think I ought to myself I think I ought to my family to be true to this book and the spirit of the man that gave me this book I'm going to do my best to preach it just like he gave it to me I'm going to do my best to never change it never alter it not modify it but do it just like he gave it to me yes 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 Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, we worship you, God. Go ahead, worship God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God bless you. There was a time. There was a time under the time period of Nehemiah that in his struggle to rebuild what had been destroyed, he was trying so very desperately to bring again the power of God back to Israel. And he came to the temple one day saw some things in the house of God he said what's this here he said well that's a little room that we uh, decided that would let Tobiah have we just let him put his stuff in there boy something went through Nehemiah Tobiah you, you're kidding me not, not Tobiah do you realize that Tobiah was the one that wrote the letter and said, hey, we don't want these guys building this wall? Do you realize that Tobiah is the one that's custom and called them names and did everything he could to stymie and stop and stagnate the growth of the rebuilding of the wall? And you have let him bring his belongings into this sacred temple? You have actually given him a room to put his stuff? Walking in my mind, I can see old Nehemiah getting a Holy Spirit of God upon him, jerking that door open and grabbing Tobiah's stuff, and the Bible said he threw it out. And one of the most confusing things in my lifetime has been when I saw men that have struggled with accusations on the radio from the Assembly of God or whoever. And they've cursed us. And they've denied that we're God-given people. They've called us cults. They've actually called our name and preached against us on TV. And they've actually done these things. And then we'll bring their films right back into our auditoriums and show them on Sunday night to people and try to justify Tobiah in the house of God. I'm here to tell you, if they fought us, let them stay out. Don't bring them into the house of God. Leave them out. Tobiah, you can't come in our sanctuary. 
Right. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you, we have preached against things for years. This Bible said, love not the world. And I'm telling you, if Hollywood's not the world, there is nothing that is the world. Profanity, makeup, jewelry, adultery, love triangles, ungodliness. And to bring that into a sanctuary like this, and the same mother that makes a film and show it, it's not of God. You hear me tonight? Give me the stave. I want to carry it on my shoulder. Oh, I don't want a new cart. I don't want a new cart. I want the ark. Give me the ark. Give me the ark. Give me the ark. Hallelujah. cannot live. It cannot live. The wall will never be built until Tobiah is cast out of the temple. You can mark it down. And they say, well, you can't have revival that way. That's what this meeting's all about. To help you understand that you can preach against sin, that you can preach against worldliness. That's right. And I realize when I walk this like this and I preach like this, I stand alone. I've got a lot of friends, but I stand on my own merit and I make my own statements. But I'm here to tell you that this thing will never change. It will never be right for a woman to cut her hair. Never. 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 No. The things we've preached for and the things we've tried to live down through the years, they're going to stay in. It's not time to change. It's not time to try something else. It's time to stay with it. I preached a revival in Salinas, California years ago. Assembly of God man talked to the pastor there, Brother Moore, with tears rolling down his face. He came to the revival. He felt the worship, heard the message. This is a man. This is what he said that night. He said, don't ever change. Listen, Assembly of God, man. He said, don't let your girls start cutting their hair. He said, don't let them start going to the movies and the ball games. And this is what he said. I'm not going to just listen to me now. This is what he said. He said, don't let them start going to the races. Don't let them start going to, to the things of this world. Don't let the girls start wearing shorts. Don't let the boys start uh, wearing shorts in public. He said, because years ago we didn't do it and my children loved God. And this is the statement that he said that cut me like a knife. He said these words. He said, I watched our church die when we gave up the principles of holiness, godliness. Hallelujah. I hope God lets me go down in history in his book as one that was proud to carry the ark. I was not ashamed of the presence of God. I was not ashamed to bear it in front of a sinful generation. If need be, I was not ashamed to tote it and cart it around Jericho if God wanted me to take it there. 
But let me go down in history as one that left the sweat of my hand on the stave and the sweat of my own body on something. Let me wear it smooth through its grip, but somewhere, God, let me be a part of that that is original and that which is right. You're going to have to have the sweaty hand of a preacher on you somewhere before you get to glory. Either in an altar of repentance or baptizing you in water or laying hands on you to get the Holy Ghost. But I'm telling you there's something earthy. There's something wholesome. There's something right about the sweaty palm of a preacher that has preached with his heart that night. And he reaches out and lays it on your head. It is a visible embodiment of the power and the presence of God. It is just as real today as it was back there. I want to do it the way the Bible tells me to do it. Brother Terry's not here tonight, but if he is or was, I would like to tell him, Brother Terry, I'm going to do my dead level best to not let you down. The things that you preached, I'm going to do my best to preach them to the church that I pastor. I'm not old, not young, somewhere in no man's land, but I am old enough to at least know what I desire now. There have been times in my life when I struggle with all the things that young men struggle with, but at least now I know where I would like to go. Whether I ever get there or not, I don't know, but I do know which direction I'd like to go. And no longer am I enticed with the trinkets that would allure me away from holding on to the staves. And mark it down that what I'm telling you tonight is this. Preacher, some of you have struggled in your church with just using prayer and fasting. And in your heart of hearts, you said, if I could just find the right technique or the right method or the right way to do things, it would make all the difference. But I would like to tell you it's like the man that is a sculptor and he chips on a piece of stone and he chips on a piece of stone and for a long time he doesn't have anything but a piece of stone with broken chips out of it and that's exactly what happens when you pray and you fast and you believe God. But finally eventually it evolves out of that piece of stone the beautiful character that you want it to be and in your church if you will marry yourself to the principle of apostolic power recorded in the book of Acts chapter 1 that when they waited on the Holy Ghost they were all with one mind and one accord and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting you keep praying, you keep fasting you keep preaching, you keep right on doing it there's a church coming out there's a church that's evolving and it will be according to the book don't worry about it let God take care of it. One of the saddest things I can think of. One of the saddest things I can think of is to see a sinner stagger into our church under a burden of alcoholism or a broken marriage, hooked on dope. Nothing's worked. They tried Maranatha Ministries and they didn't work. They tried Campus for Christ and it didn't work. They've tried churches all over town and they got nothing that satisfied them and they stagger into our church because somewhere, somehow they heard that these are the people that can help you. And with that tremendous burden weighed on their shoulder and they stagger in and they sit down 
and what they see is somebody unroll a screen and they look at the same film that they saw last Sunday night in the Assembly of God church that had nothing that their people look worldly and the cross and the switchblade or whatever little feature you happen to have that night do you realize the terrible indictment God will place on his church when that sinner staggers back out the door and says they're just like all the rest they are no different whoever told me that never had it right but all the difference when they got their hand on prayer and fasting and worship and they feel the power of God they feel the sweaty palm of a preacher laid on their head and every desire for cigarette leaves and every desire for alcohol wings its way out of their life what a difference what a difference what a difference what a difference Hallelujah, hallelujah. What a difference. There are no shortcuts. We preach about revival, we talk about it, we share our great victories. But the bottom line is there are no shortcuts to revival. I read again today the story of Jesus walking out of the city under the load of the cross. Back, lacerated, Streaming like ribbons, blood, flesh, bones showing. Thorns on his head, blood on his face, beaten, bruised, unrecognizable, spit on, mocked, hit, laughed at, ridiculed, jeered. Yesterday, Brother King was preaching for us. I was sitting on the pew. Never happened to me before, but I got such a vivid mental impression of God at that time. And it was like something just swept over me and I thought, God, you didn't have to go to that extent to purchase our salvation. If you really stop and think about it, all he had to do is die. But do you understand how much further than death he went? He went clear to humiliation. He went clear to the point that there was no semblance of humanity or pride. And I believe that God operates under those principles that it is his way mark it down if you're looking for an easy road you're in the wrong business it will be difficult but God has ordained victory and he lived it and recorded it on the pages of this book so that when you're staggering to the point that you don't feel you can rise again you can remind yourself that all I can do is keep on praying and keep on fasting and keep on believing God because there will be no miracle new carts come along that will ever transport the glory of God. There will never be a new method or technique that is going to take the place of just me getting a hold of it and feeling it and lifting it on my shoulder and carrying it to a world that's full of sin and ugliness and ungodliness. It's the only way that it'll ever happen. When your married couples come to you distraught, like their marriage is not going to stay together. God in heaven, don't show them a James Dobson film to help them get through their rough spots. You and them together find you a place of prayer and fasting and work that thing out before God. Thank you, Jesus. I don't stand here tonight and proclaim that I know it all. 
time to carry the ark. I believe our world needs to hear what we have. That that has already crossed Jordan, that which has marched around Jericho and been carried to the battlefront many, many times, oh, that God would let the spirit of that victory settle on us tonight. There have been times, I guarantee you, in these elders' ministry, I saw Brother Buxton sitting back here. There have been times in his ministry. There's been times in Brother Ballesteros' ministry. I guarantee you there's been times in Brother Lee Davis' ministry when that did not appear that there could go any further. They staggered under the load and the sheer immensity of the obstacles. And it did not look like they could go any further. And the only thing they knew to do was just keep praying and keep fasting and keep asking God. And somewhere out of the midst of the confusion and the medley and the hodgepodge of all the problems and the situations, just being faithful to God and preaching and praying and loving God, miraculously, all of a sudden, God performed it and they stand here today and that that has already been to war in 1950 that which has been carried through the 60s that which has rolled through the, the terrible conflicts of the 70s that which has already withstood the advertisement issue that which has already withstood the sports issue that which has already withstood every other issue that we've come nose to nose with I promise you we'll see you through I promise you it will weather the storm I promise you that it will stand before God and God will bless it today. I'm, I'm through. Let me make a couple of comments and I'll conclude. Isaac in the Bible gave us a beautiful picture of what a man ought not to do. His boys came to him to pass on the patriarchal blessing. Jacob trying to deceive him dressed up like his brother and he said to his dad I'm here dad said come here you know the story the bottom line is this Isaac detected something that wasn't right and he said the voice is the voice of Jacob and he felt him but the hands are the hands of Esau and he went by what he felt instead of what he heard. Greatest source of confusion in our midst today is when you walk into a group of people that claim to be apostolic, but they toy with the new cart and they want to fiddle with everything that comes along. They don't want to pray. They don't want to fast. They don't want to get on their face before God. They don't want to travail a revival into existence. They want to just bring it in by some modern technological advancement. I'm here to tell you, if it isn't one thing, it'll be another. And after we get this one knocked in the head, something else will come along. We'll be fighting it until we die. But this ark has already been to battle, and it will come back again, and it will stand the test of time, and it will never be defeated. There will be a church when Jesus comes that will be praying and fasting and praying and filling an altar and loving God and preaching holiness, and nothing will ever change. Nothing will ever change. Nothing, 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 nothing. So you don't be deceived by what you feel. You go by what you hear. And if it isn't clear, pow, if that trumpet didn't give that certain sound, it don't matter if they shout till their earrings fall off. It don't make any difference. Would you stand, musicians? Would you come? I want to conclude. Let's worship the Lord before I conclude. Hallelujah. Teach us how to bring the ark home, God.
Teach us how to bring the ark home, God. tell you something that happened Once again, let's thank the Lord for speaking to us. God, we love you. We are so thankful for the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God.
I want to tell you one final thing before I turn the service back to Brother Morton tonight. Brother Booker is one of my very dear friends. I have a lot of confidence in Brother Booker. I personally know of days, he has fasted many days. Days of prayer, those of you that know him well have confidence in him as a man that loves God and sensitive to the Spirit of the Lord. He related something to me the other day that was so powerful, so dynamic that I want to mention it here tonight. The other day he received a call from a man. The man on the other end of the line had a very definite accent. And he began to say to Brother Booker, <clears throat> you have something to tell me? You have something to say to me? And, uh, of course, Brother Booker, like all of us, get many calls every week, it seems like, to people that are destitute of any help, gas money, whatever. You never know who's genuine and who's just milking the church for another bottle of booze. So, <clears throat> Brother Booker was busy so he just asked him for him blank he said how do you baptize when you baptize how do you baptize the guy said in the name of the father and the son and the holy Ghost." so brother booker with his ability said well you just need to call the assembly god and the man said no 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 you have something to tell me i know you do something and so <clears throat> they were in revival for the again they, uh, he said, you want to come to the revival tonight? And the man said, yeah. Brother Booker picked him up. It was a little late picking the man up. And so, you know how it is. These preachers will understand that, you know, you just, you get so many guys coming and going. You, you. So Brother Booker just said, well, I'll just give it to him right off the bat. And he just started giving. Number one, we believe in Acts 2.38. Number two, and, uh, Acts 4.12. Dun, 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 and he just went right down the line. Pow, 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 pow. And he said when he got to point number seven, the guy was eyes was big. And it was right by him. And he said, oh, I never heard nothing like this before. Well, the booker asked him where he was from. He said, he said, from India. He said he was a pastor over here and visiting on a Chris, uh, crusade or campus crusade deal. That's what it was. And uh, so they went on into the church. Brother Gant preaching. Where's Brother Gant? There he is. He had the audacity to preach against the 700 Club, PTL. That's what Brother Booker told me. He said if he could have knocked him off, he would have that night. Brother Booker's guys grabbed him, ran him around the church. I mean, they gave him the whole work over whole nine yards. You know, he was so excited and uh, wanted to be baptized in Jesus' name. They baptized him in Jesus' name that night. He was so excited for the book. He said they had a very beautiful baptism. And the man told him, he said, oh, he said, I want your pastor to come to India to preach to my people. I want him to come and hear what, he, what he, I hear tonight. We don't have this worship. We don't have this liberty. Please, please come to India and preach to my people. Well, you know, you still think, who is this guy? You know, can he be for real? So 
they stayed up late that night and gave him the oneness. Boy, he was responsive and he saw it. The revelation was in his eyes and on his face. And so Brother Booker took him home the next day and and uh, dropped him off. Kept waiting for the money deal. You know how it is. You keep saying, all right, when's it coming? When's it? And he never did ask for no money. Never did. Just got out. And Brother Booker said when he dropped off the motel, he saw a phone number. So Brother Booker called the guy the phone number. This boy's name was C.P. Thomas. And he said, is that right, C.P.? The, yeah, the Indian boy was C.P. Thomas. And, and he called this number and he said, Hey, do you know a C.P. Thomas? The guy said, Oh, sure. Yeah. He said, uh, Is he from India? Well, yeah, yeah, he's from India. He said, Well, did you bring him over here? And he said, Yeah, we brought him. What did he? he said, Of course. And so Brother Booker said, Really, what you're saying, and he, he is uh, legitimate? He, like, he's really what he said. And the guy said, Oh, yeah, he pastors 42 churches in India. He said, over there? Yeah, yeah. I said, we were so impressed with him that we brought him over here doing a tour. Now, that's beautiful. Now hear me out. Now hear me out. That's beautiful. Brother Booker so impressed he took him some money back. He, he felt so bad he took him some money back. But The man really was legitimate. He really does pastor 42 churches. He really did get the revelation. He really did get baptized in Jesus' name. He really does want Brother Booker to go back and preach to those 42 churches. He really does. Now, you can read it for whatever you think it's worth. But Brother Booker said to him, he said, CP, how did you come in contact with me? Now, I believe this is right out of the book of Acts, and you can judge it however you see it. But he said, I got down in my motel room and went to praying. And I opened the phone book up to the churches. And he said, when my eyes fell on your name, God spoke to me and said, that man has something to tell you. Let me tell you something. Is it too big for us to believe that God could give us 42 churches at one time? I believe it's right out of the book of Acts. Whatever they do with it, if they ever respond or don't respond, that doesn't make any difference. God already has started the ball rolling and it's up to them now. But this is my point. For God to do that. For God to intercede like that. And they're over there like the household of Cornelius waiting for the prophet of God. C.P. Thomas is going to tell them, hey, we got a man coming that's going to tell you the word of the Lord. What kind of a, listen to me now. What kind of a deal would it be if it got out of the airplane with some reworked Assembly of God program and if it just pulled out some video revival or it just pulled out some television idea? No! They need to hear it just like they heard it in the book of Acts! They need it just like they got it right here! They don't need any more of that other stuff! They need it just like they got it! Let's worship God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. They need it, they need it, they need it. 
They need it just like we got it. They need the sweat of a preacher running off his face. They need laying hands on them, speaking in other tongues. Brother Booker, I hope you baptize all 42 churches in the name of Jesus. Oh, let's lift our hands and worship God.